1: Welcome to a Wednesday edition of the RotoWire NBA podcast, presented as always by WinBet. Check out winbet.com for all your sports wagering needs. Uh, great time of the year to be wagering on sports. That is for sure uh, right in the thick of NFL season. football coming to an end of uh, that regular season. And obviously, the NBA is just heating up. Uh, Alex Barutha, my compadre, we have a lot of news to get to today. Uh, we'll dive into um, Joel Embiid. Likely to miss even more time than we expected. Chris Middleton should be back tonight. Uh, a couple other injury updates to get to, uh, and then we'll do a, a game of who would you rather roster for the rest of the season. So we, we played a couple rounds of who would you rather draft in the lead up to the season. Uh, this will essentially be the same thing, kind of pitting some players who are either off to you know similarly good starts, similarly bad starts, somewhere in the middle uh, against each other, and we'll try to debate those. But. I want to start with Embiid, who we found out this morning via Doc Rivers. It's still kind of unclear what exactly is going on. Um, this is a little bit anecdotal on, on my part, but it doesn't it feel like guys are missing more time this year due to COVID protocols than last year? Like, we have the same amount of confusion, but it felt like last year it was often, you know, you'd hit that 10-day mark and guys would come back. I mean, whether it's Embiid, whether it's Chris Middleton, uh, other guys, we, we've seen a lot of players now miss, you know, two-plus full weeks of action uh, and we found out this morning that Embiid's going to miss at least four more games, finishing out this six-game uh, Western Conference road trip for the Sixers.
2: Yeah, it's kind of hard to say what the reason is for that, obviously, whether it's, um, you know, just the variant being harder on on people uh, or teams just being more cautious or players being more cautious and and them coming back from uh, COVID-19. But yeah, there are, there have been some, like, very prominent players who have missed a ton of time. Uh, after testing positive.
1: Yeah, uh, Kevin Love, who I believe will be back tonight, uh, Laurie Markkinen won't play Wednesday, but should be back soon. Those guys uh, each missed like eight games, you know, well beyond the the 10-day timetable that's usually set out there. And, and you could tell from the quote, like, Doc Rivers is confused. Like, he has no idea what's going on. He, I, I think the exact word he used was, like, it's a lot of clutter. Um, uh, you, Like, you have to return multiple negative tests, even if you've quarantined. Uh, we, we still don't even know, like, which players test positive versus, you know, our, our close contacts. Uh, Matisse Theibel still caught up in this, of course, for the Sixers. Uh, Tobias Harris was as well, although he's returned. Uh, so a lot of confusion there. But uh, disappointing start to the year for Embiid, who, you know, has been, he's been fine when playing. Um, you know, a lot of the numbers are down, you know, scoring especially is down like seven points per game. Uh, but we're looking at a pretty limited sample to begin the year. Um, he hasn't been quite as efficient scoring the ball either, but you know, you always worry going into the year, like how many games is Joel Embiid going to play? And I know he's had the knee issues, but he's going to end up missing like ten of the first twenty-five games at least here. And you know, I, I think it's going to be another one of those years where he probably ends up playing around like fifty-five, sixty games. But for the second straight season, you know, it's not necessarily injuries that are that are causing a big chunk of those absences.
2: Right. I mean, I think he probably needed time off with his knee anyway, right? I mean, assuming it's not something that needs surgery, so. I mean, maybe he comes back from this, um, you know, assuming he can really get back to his normal self from a conditioning standpoint. And maybe the knee's Mm -hmm. feeling a little better with two plus weeks off. And um, maybe he'll he'll just start playing more like his normal self, you know, because his his shooting percentages are, Mm -hmm. especially his like two point percentages, is is down a lot.
1: Yeah, it's striking to see a big man shooting like 44 percent from the field. And he's actually up from three. I think he's at like 38, 39 percent. From three. Yeah. So it's, you yeah. know, a lot of times it's just a guy increases his three point volume and that drags down the overall field goal percentage. But uh, yeah, he's, he's struggled to score relative to last season. Did you end up with uh, a lot of Embiid shares?
2: No, I will, I don't think I I've almost never drafted Embiid. I just I yeah, stay I mean, away you know. from him because of I never expect him to play more than 65 games. And that's just really tough to deal with in weekly lineup leagues.
1: Yeah, it's not worth the cost. I mean, if he if he had like a you know late second, early third round price tag, you know, then I, I think at some point it becomes worth it. Right. But if you're drafting that guy with like potentially your first pick in a, in, a, in a league, especially in a in a high stakes league, uh, I don't know how you could feel good about that. Like even last season, which felt like an absolute best case scenario, um, you know, it's not like he was the number one overall fantasy player. Like everything broke right, and he had a really nice season, but you, it just feels like he's never going to be able to top that. Like I I cannot foresee a scenario. Where Joel Embiid is playing 78 out of 82 games.
2: I'm sure certain companies do have data on like, um, you know, who's on whose roster on uh, fantasy teams that win their leagues. But I'd be mm-hmm. curious to see, you know, the percentage of teams that have taken first place in their leagues when they draft Joel Embiid in the first round, as mm-hmm. opposed to almost anybody else. Right. The, I, I, to me, like the ceiling's just not there.
1: You know, like if, like he's he, he it's not possible for him to finish as like a top three fantasy guy just because of the games played. You know, even on a per game basis, he can be that valuable. Um, It's just, like so many other things have to go right with the rest of your roster and, and you know, other rosters around the league. I think for you to win a to win an entire league with Embiid on that roster. Uh, I want to move to Damian Lillard, who to me, somewhat surprisingly, played on Monday on the second half of a back to back. He sat out uh, Sunday at Denver. That was a big blowout loss. Uh, Portland lost that game by 29. Really was not close for most of the second half. Uh, but Lillard has started to look a little bit better, despite playing through uh, that abdominal issue that that we touched on last week on the pod as kind of a a worrisome you know subject for a guy who is already struggling and and now you're you're throwing in you know an injury that obviously is is a tough one to recover from on the fly. Uh, you, you can't really avoid using your abdomen you know, when doing any sort of athletic movement. Uh, but last five games now. 25 points, five rebounds, seven assists, uh, shooting 47% from the field, uh, 39% from three on nine attempts per game, hitting almost four threes per game in that span. Most concerning to me is he's still not really getting to the line. Um, you know, only two and a half attempts over that span. That's you know a, a little bit lower than where he's at on the season, but you know the, the free throw shooting numbers have been down, and he hasn't been hitting that many either. He's 77% uh, over the last five games, but uh, where, where are you at? On Lillard right now. I mean, it, it feels like he's kind of moving in the right direction, but at the same time, I, I'm not, I'm not ready to rule him fully back, you know, considering he just missed a game with this ab issue.
2: Yeah. I mean, I was, I was going to bring up this five game stretch. He's looked about, I mean, he's looked as close to normal as he has all season. And um yeah, I mean, his, his, his assists and his points are still down and the percentages could get a little better, but um I don't know. I mean, the ab issue just seems like it's a thing that he's been dealing with maybe longer than even, you know, the Team USA stuff. It it may have just flared up then or been bad. It's kind of hard to get a feel on like how long he's actually been dealing with it, but it's I mean, it's still a concern for me if I if I have him in my fantasy league that he'll periodically miss time because of it, but um you know, like we we've, we've said in the past players go on bad five to 10 game stretches all the time in the middle of a season. And um, that could have just been what it is for Lillard. Kind of hard to tell when you, when you throw the injury into it, that creates a, a compounding factor, but um, I don't know. It's encouraging to see that he's, he's as very close to his normal self minus, like you mentioned, the, the free throw attempts.
1: Chris Middleton uh, considered probable as we record uh, around 3:30 central time on Wednesday, uh, probable for tonight's game. Against the Lakers, all indications are that he'll be back. Uh, We haven't seen Middleton since before Halloween. October 30th was his last game. Uh, That was a loss to the Spurs. He's missed eight games uh, due to COVID protocols. So another guy who has been in protocols now, you know, uh, upwards of of two full weeks. Uh, I'm expecting him to be a little bit limited tonight. Uh, There there are some inclinations or or indications, I should say, that you know, still working on the conditioning. Um, Sounds like he you know had some symptoms uh, of the virus while recovering. So uh, wouldn't be surprised if they ease him back into action. But I, to me, like the Brook Lopez absence is still big. We have <clears throat> we have no idea when he's going to be back. But uh, this is step one toward Milwaukee, I think, kind of looking more like itself and, and eventually reasserting itself uh, as the best, at least, regular season team in the East.
2: Yeah, I forgot what podcast I was listening to where they kind of alluded the— Brooke Lopez back injury to that Serge Ibaka back injury last season to where they try literally everything they can to not do surgery. And mm-hmm. eventually it may just have to happen. So I'm pretty worried about Lopez for the rest of the season. Um, and another thing too, like I haven't, uh, been watching as many bucks games lately because the roster is like so bad that sometimes it just, it's hard to watch. Um, but like Lopez is just like, he's not sitting when he's on the bench. Like he's at the games, but he's standing the whole time, which seems like a bad uh, sign. You know, something like doctors yeah, like you. I'm shit. sure it's just a total coincidence. a yeah, total coincidence that he just stands for, for two hours straight. Um, yeah. So I'm pretty concerned about him not coming back for a long time, but good to get Middleton back, obviously.
1: Yeah. That'll go a long way just toward getting some more competence on the floor and, and right. guys like
2: Conanton and, and uh,
1: Nora and Grayson and Allen have been fine. Um, but, you know, I mean, you're honestly, I, I think the the Lopez issue uh, or, or Lopez injury is a bigger issue for Milwaukee. It, Middleton's the better player. He's the more important piece. But you have depth behind Middleton, you know, like the drop from Middleton to Conaton slash Grayson Allen is not as massive as the drop from Lopez to Thanasis Antetokounmpo.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, Lopez is such a specific type of player. They play the drop coverage people. You know, it's tough to score on him at the rim. Like Bobby Portis is not that same type of defensive presence, and neither is Thanasis. And like you mentioned, I mean, getting anybody back in any capacity is good because this team is uh, like Thanasis is eighth on this team in total minutes played. And when uh, Thanasis has essentially been your eighth man. Yeah, (laughs) that's Uh, far too many, far too many minutes for Thanasis. Yeah,
1: it's uh, it's gonna be interesting. I think the we're, something's gonna have to give, right? We're either gonna get some news about Lopez potentially coming back soon, or the Bucks are just randomly gonna trade or sign, you know, some veteran center, and then we're gonna be like, oh no, you know, this this they're they're now loading up because I, I think the fact that they haven't done anything, and, and granted, it's not like there's you know some some perfect move out there. It's like anybody you're bringing in, uh, it's not gonna be someone you're gonna be super excited about. You know, you're just you're just needing depth at that point. Um, but I, the fact that they haven't done that yet, I, I think to me indicates that they're still fairly optimistic about the situation. But I mean, Lopez is going to miss what? It's going to be like his 15th straight absence tonight, right? I mean, it's, it's we're getting to the yeah. point where this is well beyond just a a day. Like they they can't get away with keep like calling this day to day when we're going on week four.
2: He hasn't played since opening night, and yep. I I mean, man, he's a you know he's seven foot, almost 300 pounds. He's approaching 34 years old. He was very immobile to begin with. Like it, anytime we tried to do anything in the post, it looked like he was dealing with a back injury anyway. So, oh, right. um I'm not uh, I'm pretty pessimistic when it comes to how I you know, I think if you have Lopez on your fantasy team and like a 12-teamer, you just if you haven't dropped him by now, I just I mm-hmm. think you, like you really have to move on. There's just you could just stream a better option than him every week. The Ibaka comparison is
1: actually really good because I, I, I want to say he missed like a decent chunk of time, you know, three or four weeks. And then he came back and played like three and a half games and re-injured it and never played again last season. Yep. And I, I could totally see that same scenario happening here. Uh, and that would be a crushing blow to Milwaukee. I, I don't know that it would remove them from title contention. I mean, you, you'd kind of have to change the way you play. You know, you'd be seeing a lot more Giannis at center, um, which I don't know that they necessarily want to do. But obviously you could still be effective with that, um, but yeah, that's a that's a situation to monitor. I mean, for fantasy purposes, it's not like you know you spent a, a third round pick on Brook Lopez, so it's it's not a team killer by any means. But yeah, I think you maybe give it m- maybe one more week and just hope for any kind of indication uh, from the Bucks that that he's at least like making some sort of progress. If you don't get that, yeah, and especially if you don't have like multiple IR spots, I, I don't know how you can justify holding him at this point. The RotoWire NBA podcast is brought to you by Vivid Seats. Preseason basketball has wrapped up and we're ready for the regular season to tip off this week. Live events are making a comeback and there's no better place to be than Vivid Seats to get back into the action. So grab your NBA tickets and cheer on your favorite team from the stands. Man, that feels good to say. Even better, Vivid Seats just launched a new and improved rewards program with free tickets for every single fan. Earn rewards, ticket upgrades, and perks just for shopping with Vivid Seats. If you're looking for tickets to the game, your favorite artist, or that new show that everyone is talking about, Vivid Seats has it all. Visit vividseats.com, that's V-I-V-I-D-S-E-A-T-S, vividseats.com, or download the Vivid Seats app today. Vivid Seats, life happens live. The NBA season is underway, and Yahoo is excited to go big on daily fantasy basketball this season. There will be a ton of big prize contests throughout the season on Yahoo!, including their multi-entry contests, which are now shark-free. To celebrate Yahoo going big on DFS, as well as Yahoo Daily Fantasy becoming shark-free, Yahoo is giving all users the opportunity to claim a free $10 in site credit. Users can take advantage of this free $10 site credit to join one of Yahoo's biggest contests. Yahoo will have daily NBA contests all season long as well. Play a single game contest of your choice throughout the week, then... Join Yahoo's weekly Friday main NBA contest to compete for large cash prizes. Play daily fantasy basketball on Yahoo this season. Visit sports.yahoo.com slash daily fantasy welcome to claim that free $10 offer and get started today. A couple other injury updates. Uh, Luka Doncic has avoided a major injury, thankfully, uh, but diagnosed with a sprained ankle and a sprained knee. Uh, They're essentially calling him day-to-day already been ruled out of tonight's game against Phoenix. They ruled him out on Tuesday. Uh, They they play the Suns again on Friday. I would imagine he probably misses that game. uh, Could remain out at the Clippers on Sunday. They play a rematch with the Clippers on Monday. So kind of a weird short-term schedule here for Dallas. Um, I I don't know. I felt like the way that they were talking about that yesterday, uh, it feels like Dacic is probably going to miss somewhere between like two and, I don't know, five or six games. I mean, if, if it's a sprained ankle and a sprained knee, um it just doesn't really seem like just take a night off and then you're good
2: no because it's i mean it really affects like that i mean the entire <laughs> your entire leg is just bad <laughs> so um you know and that you always risk um obviously like re-injuring that but then you start favoring your your other leg very heavily and mm-hmm. uh, again that can that can lead to more injury so i would yeah i i would expect him to be out for a while honestly but uh, you never know. I mean, I, all the, you know, the everyone heals differently. And if they can, some of it may depend on like, if they go like, Oh, and five, maybe they'll try to like rush him back. But if they can at least kind of tread water, I think they will be a little more careful with him.
1: Right. And they're, they said at nine and four right now. So I, I think, you know, if you go, I don't know, one and four without him, it's not, it's not really the end of the world. Um, And it's early enough that I don't think you have to uh, panic. If you're Dallas, if you start losing some games, Uh, Zion right. Williamson, Progressing to one-on-one this week. I we still don't have a firm timetable. I, I will be very surprised if Zion is back at any point in the month of November. I mean we're we're over halfway through the month at this point. Uh, still hasn't really returned to any five-on-five work or even three-on-three work. Uh, so he's set to be reevaluated on the 24th, which is a week from today. Uh, at that point, he could potentially be cleared for five-on-five. Uh, but but given what we know about this whole situation, I mean, it, it seems like he hasn't really played actual basketball since probably early in the off season, And, you know, we, we haven't really seen much of a glimpse of him other than sitting on the bench uh, You know, conceivably would, would need. I would imagine at least a couple weeks to work his way, uh, not even into shape, but just like into good enough shape that he can play in a basketball game. And then it's probably going to be a multi-month process from there uh, where he's playing himself into shape. But, uh, man, I mean, this has gone about as badly as possible. Right, I mean, it, we knew it was going to be kind of a train wreck when all this news came out the first day of training camp. But uh, not only are we going to probably make it through November without seeing Zion, he's going to miss, you know, probably the first twenty odd games of the year, maybe closer to twenty five. Uh, but on top of that, the Pelicans are two and thirteen heading into tonight's game at Miami, uh, which uh, suffice it to say they will not be favored in that one.
2: No, um, I I would be pretty shocked if he played by by Christmas. I just Every update we've gotten about Zion is either pessimistic. It's oh, down the road this will happen, or it's optimistic and then immediately gets shut down. Um, like there, there have been no good updates at all. Um, mm-hmm. And even the, even this update that's like oh, he's cleared for contact and one on one work. It's like well, you know, yeah, they're going to reevaluate him again on the 24th, but that doesn't mean anything. Like he could just not be ready <laughs> for for five on five. Um, and then, you know, once he starts playing full contact five on five, how long is it going to take for him to be like in game shape? And by that time of the Pelicans going to be three and 19. Um, and I just, you know, at what point, like, is it even worth bringing him back? If he's not even like, if he's 90%, is it even worth bringing him back? I mean, your team is so bad. Um, I, I just don't know. I, I would be shocked to be played by Christmas. I, <laughs> January. I I feel like is, is kind of what I'm expecting. And I know that's not what the, the reporting is sort of leaning towards. But again, when does the reporting ever like panned out positively at any point during this whole process?
1: I, I always like feel bad for the people who report the Pelicans news. Like it, it just seems yeah. like, like Andrew Lopez of VSPN who were like always citing on RotoWire. It's like it's never good. Like anytime you see a tweet from that guy, it's just like, oh, boy, uh, that's not good. Um, Yeah, I mean, at, at this point, like I'm. Zion has never really been a winning player and we only have a year and a half worth of a, uh, of a sample here. So, you know, it's not an indictment on what he's going to be for the next 10 to 15 years, but like I'm, the Pelicans are not making the playoffs like that is Like Zion no. <laughs> is not, he's not the type of guy that you bring back and then think, Oh, we're going to start winning 70% of our games. Like every game, even with a fully healthy, fully engaged Zion is 50, 50 at best. And the roster's worse than last year. Like they're not They're Like you said, I, I think it's fair to question what the motivation is here. Like Zion, even when healthy, didn't really want to play for this team. Like, how how psyched is he going to be to to get you know fully back into shape and and ready to go for a team that like you said could literally be like four and twenty with, at the time he comes back. So, yeah, it's I, and again he's not going to bail them out of that. I, I think it's going to be a a long drawn out process where you know it's, I think it's going to take him a long time until he's even playing like 35 minutes a night like he was last year, right? I mean they've been so cautious with him that even if he is back, let's say December fifteenth, like I it might not be until mid-January where he actually starts to look like himself. And at that point, half the season's gone. And if you took him in the late second round or early third round of a fantasy draft, it's it's pretty much impossible for him to recoup that value over 40, 45 games.
2: Yeah, I mean, I was the only way I was targeting Zion is if I was going to be able to get him in like the sixth round. And that just wasn't going to happen, so I knew I wasn't going to get him. But to me, that was, like, the appropriate spot to take the risk. Because, like, everything you're mentioning, even when he does come back, you know, how many minutes is he playing? Even when he gets cleared to play 30-plus minutes, is he going to sit back-to-backs? You know, if they're they're down 20 points heading into the fourth, is he even going to touch the court? So is he going to see a bunch of, like, 26-minute games? Like, it's just—and then, you know, if they're really out of it by the end of the season, (laughs) does he just sit? Like, who— who knows, man?
1: If there's one thing we appreciate here at RotoWire, it's making good decisions. And even more so, making the right decision. I have an incredible offer for you with RotoWire's newest partner, WinBet, the premier digital casino and sportsbook app. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for RotoWire's fantasy podcasts. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over unders, round robins, live betting. And so much more are at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in six US states Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia, while rapidly expanding nationwide. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. WinBet is currently offering all RotoWire listeners a risk-free bet up to $500 on your first wager. All you have to do is download the WinBet app right now. That's WinBet, W Y N N B E T, WinBet, the exclusive partner for Rotowire's fantasy podcast. So I'm looking at NFBKC ADP from this year and he he was 45th, the average pick of 44.2 uh, in those drafts. I, I do think that's about right, you know, given the circumstances, cause like it's considerably bleaker now than it was even at the time. And and to me, like he was a cross off, but I'm not going to lie. If he, if he was there, uh, I think I was picking at like, I don't know, somewhere in the, obviously in the fifties, like if he was there with like a 55th overall pick and you're deciding between him and like Terry Rozier or Isaiah Stewart <laughs> or Colin Sexton, it's like, you're probably going to take science. Like I, I definitely don't fault people for taking him because the upside really is there at that point. But yeah, I, I think the people that really get hurt are, are those who drafted early. And, you know, I mean, early on, we, we were talking about this even before we knew any of this, like, you know even when we thought he was healthy, I, I thought it was, it was a pretty major reach to take him like inside the top 25.
2: Yeah. I mean, he has, he has concerns as a fantasy player anyway, just in terms of, is he going to get you any defensive stats? Is the free throw shooting actually going to improve? Um, and talk about, I mean, See, and we don't even know what the Zion Williamson in this new uh, foul environment looks like with the new calls. Like Zion was getting to the line nine times a game last year. And I think I think he gets fouled very legitimately. Like people really hack Zion. But, um, you know, if that drops down to five or six, especially if he's less than 100 percent, you know, if he's drawing if he's playing 28 minutes a game and drawing like four free throws, I don't really know what the Zion stat line even turns into at that point.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I like you alluded to, I I don't worry about him as much as like a lot of the guards who are dependent on, you know, break across the arm fouls and, you know, ref baiting. Because Zion is like the opposite of a ref baiter. Like he just flies in and, and legitimately gets hit. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 a league wide trend and it's, it's hit pretty much everybody at every position. Uh, so that is a good point. And that was it, like it was kind of a good and bad thing, though, because he was such a a poor free throw shooter relatively that. Yes, it was nice that he's getting to the line and that's giving him like 10 extra points per night, but he's also one of the five most damaging free throw percentage players because he takes so many and only hits like 68 to 70%. So, I don't know, maybe maybe it would be good if he's taking fewer free throws.
2: Maybe, but then if he if he's missing those shots anyway, right. then the free the field goal percentage is going going to decline. Right. It's a it's a whole thing. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: We should uh We're doing we're doing the calculus. Yeah,
2: exactly. We're doing like <it. laughs>
1: Equating Zion Williamson's actual value. Um, I, I have written in my notes here, the Rockets are really, really bad. I don't I don't necessarily have like a, a take or anywhere I want to go with that, but uh, this team is worse than I expected. They are like just as undisciplined as I thought they would be. Uh, that that's something that like you kind of look at those names and you're like, man, this team, they could score a lot of points, they could play really fast, it could be a lot of fun. Uh there there's not been a lot of fun. It's been a ton of turnovers, it's been no defense at all. Um, it's one of those very, like, it's like a toxic situation to the point where you worry about the development of guys like green and Porter and and even Christian wood, who's older than those guys, but still kind of feels like he's in that same developmental phase.
2: Yeah. I mean, they have the, the worst five man lineup in the NBA and it's been that way almost all season. It's their starting five. That's minus 27 points per 100 possessions, (laughs) which is almost, almost a full 10 points worse than the second uh worst lineup in the NBA which is the Knicks starting lineup. Uh, uh so yeah. Um, I thought it's, I thought you
1: were going to say it was the Rockets bench
2: lineup. Um no. No it is not. Um I the thing part of the problem here is they have three guys who like think they should be starting at center. Um Christian Wood is a center, Daniel Tice should be a center and Shangguan should be a center. And it's just what they're doing is not working. I mean, and part of it too is like, you're only like, you are just going to be bad. If your second, second leading shot taker is shooting 36% from the field. And that's Jalen green and Kevin Porter jr. Is shooting 36% from the field. And he's, you know, practically, I mean, Jalen green and, and Kevin Porter jr. Combined have like a one-to-one assist to turnover ratio. Like they just cough it up. Like really right now it is Shangoon. That's like the positive spot on this team. Like I just wrote up an article for the site on like guys you could target in keeper leagues realistically. And I was just like looking at Shangun's numbers. I mean they're, they're some of the most ridiculous numbers from like a nineteen year old center. I don't even know who, who else is, is on that list. You know, other I you know I he might have better than like Kevin Garnett rookie numbers or something. Like I just I haven't really yeah. looked at it. But Shangun's averaging like eight free throw attempts per thirty six minutes. As a 19 year old center, like he's just no one. You can't guard him. Like he's getting hacked. He's averaging two and a half steals, four assists. Like he's he's been insane for them. But the rest of their team, um, <laughs> awful.
1: Yeah, Shingun's been awesome.
2: Um, I, I I hate that they're still
1: capping him at like 18 to 20 minutes. It feels like every night. Um, but I mean the Tice thing has been as much of a disaster as we expected, right? And it's almost something where you're, like I feel I feel worse for Tice that he like made the decision to sign there. Like it, it really is the, it's the redux of Mason Plumlee in Detroit where you're like, why, why did you think this was a good idea to sign there? And why did they think it was a good idea to sign you? Like, especially, you know, knowing that you, you were potentially going to, I mean, you had what four first round picks. It's like, don't you want to clear the, the way for guys like Shane to play? And, and it feels like this season's going to end with Daniel Tice picking up like a DNP two out of every three games, right. Where it's like, they, they look at, they look in the mirror and they're like, what is the point of us playing Daniel Tice? 25 minutes in this lineup, but yeah, it's been the level of incompetency. There has been uh, astonishing. Um, I mean, Jalen green, I, I think will figure it out. Like, would you, would you bet that Jalen green has this season, the rest of the way, where at the end of the year, he's shooting like 38% from the field, or do you, could you see a, an Anthony Edwards type of progression? Because Edwards, I mean, it's easy to forget now, like Edwards was really bad for those first yeah. like 20 to 25 games
2: before he turned it on last year. No, I, I, I think, I think Jalen green will be better. I just, there aren't many guys with his like pedigree that just shoot like 36% on high volume, um, for their, for their entire rookie season. I think, I think and he's someone to me that passes the eye test. Like whenever I watch him play, like his shots aren't going in, but the way he's getting around people, he's, he's hyper athletic. I have no worries about him really whatsoever. If you draft him in fantasy, you're kind of out of luck right now, but you also, I mean, you have to keep him on your roster. I don't know if you start him yeah. until he starts playing better, but it's he, obviously a hold. Oh yeah, for sure. And I I feel like, well, I I mean I I, don't, I, sh- I wouldn't I wouldn't
1: say he's obviously a hold in in some season long leagues. Like he's been dropped, I think, in two leagues that I'm in, and it's it's just hard to justify the field goal percentage, I guess, at this point, Plus the turnovers. Um, but like if you're if you're the Rockets in real life, or you're a dynasty league manager, like totally fine with what's going on. Like I I, I like you said, the eye test is there, the athleticism is there. Uh, the shooting numbers aren't great, but the shot, I think, looks really good. Um, you know, like, the, like his good games have been very, very good. Like they've been good enough that I'm fully convinced that he will eventually be a good player. Um, I, I know James before the year said he thought he could average 25 a game for, for that team. And I I don't think that'll happen. Like, I don't think he has that kind of breakout coming uh, over the second half. I think we maybe underestimated the amount of incompetence that would be around him, but uh, like you said, I, I think his good moments have been good enough that I'm I'm convinced that this is not going to be some sort of bust pick. Um, but it, it has hurt that, you know, Cunningham's played really well his last few games. Uh, Evan Mobley's obviously been great. Scotty Barnes has been great. Um, so I, I think I think in some ways that like makes green look worse when when other guys drafted around him have been playing better.
2: Yeah, I mean, if this was like a the average draft class, it wouldn't seem nearly right. as bad. But this is a completely stacked draft class. Right. I mentioned Cunningham, no free
1: throw attempts over his last four games. That's a little concerning, but again, league wide trend, uh, shouldn't be shocking, I suppose. And most rookies, uh, even the more aggressive, you know, ball handling rookies typically don't have a high free throw rate. Um, but he's looked a lot better over his last few games. He had a 28 and eight game, uh, a a few games ago. That was easily his best effort of the season. Started to look a lot more comfortable. I mean, those first few games, he did not look ready, uh, at all, but, um, in that game against Sacramento, I mean, they, they were down like 40 at one point in the game. So it's not like it was competitive, but 25, 8 and 8, two steals, five three-pointers. Uh, the three-point stroke especially has looked better. He was 0 of his first 14 and one of his first 21 uh, from three through his first three games. But last five games, he's been at 16 points, five rebounds, four assists, one and a half steals, 44% from the field, 41% from three on seven and a half attempts per game. Uh, I'm looking at the Pistons offensive numbers right now. <laughs> My God, um, they they somehow have a better offensive rating than both Houston and OKC, uh, despite shooting 40.7 percent as a team from the field this season, not from three, 40 percent as a team.
2: They must be going in transition because they I've been they have the worst half court offense in the NBA. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah,
1: right. I don't know. like How do you not have the worst offense when you're shooting 40 percent?
2: Hey, you know, uh, killing Hayes running in transition, Jeremy Grant, get those good buckets. I, Kate, Cade, uh, Cade's going to figure it out. I'm pretty confident in that. Um, he's got to figure out, he's got to get to the line more, um, rookies struggle with that though, in general. And he's got to figure out the turnover thing. Like he's 4.2 turnovers over his past six games to four assists. So negative turnover to assist ratio, last four games, got to figure that out. And I know, um, like Shannon, uh, appropriately brought up to me at our dinner last night that, um, the potential assists for him and like Killian Hayes are way higher than their actualized assists because like you just oh, brought yeah. up their field goal percentage as a team is so awful. So he's creating more assists than it's showing, but, um, that's something he had a problem with in college too. Yeah, I think he had more turnovers than assists in college. So hopefully he starts to clean that up at some point here. Yeah, Detroit shooting 29.5% from three. Um,
1: oh, you know, and a, a decent amount of those are open looks. So, yeah, I mean, just just the amount of, like, swing pass assists that normal teams pick up because they're shooting 36% from three. Um, I mean, that is that is astonishing. Under
2: they, 30%. I mean, they just don't have – I mean, a huge part of that reason is Sadiq Bey is having a bad year from three. He's 29%. He's yeah. doing more stuff, um like, on his own, like playmaking, which is nice, but the percentage is bad. But they – other than him, they like don't have three point shooters. Frank Jackson's taking the fourth most three pointers on the team. Olinick was doing fine, but then it's like Josh Jackson, obviously Killian. Killian's not doing bad, but he's not a high volume guy. And then you talk about Trey Lyles. It's just it's a um they just they just don't have shooters.
1: I mean, the the fact that you just brought up Trey Lyles, I I think, says all we need to say uh, about this version of the Pistons right now. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and losing Kelly Olenek, like kind of a crushing blow uh, for both one of my fantasy teams
2: and for the Pistons. uh, Yeah, it really was, actually.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: Let's play some. Who would you rather roster for the rest of the season? Uh, I have six of them for you. I I don't know if you wrote any down, whether you did or not. Um, doesn't matter. I think these should carry us. Um, let's start here. Who would you rather roster for the rest of the season? John ja Morant or Chris Paul?
2: This is tough. Um, they're both returning first round value, and I think you know we've we've looked at Jaw's numbers and they're he's come down a little bit from where he was. I think I still might lean jaw. Um, and I think, it, I mean, again, it wouldn't surprise me if Chris Paul ended up better, but I still in the back of my mind, even though he's been healthy, I cannot get out of my mind that Chris Paul is at the age that he's at with the injury history that he's had. And he's just going to be healthy again. Um, So I worry about that. The Suns also have more, I think, I mean, they have more established, like, offensive options, more established offense. Morant, you know, a lot of times, is going to be, like, backed into a corner where he has to really just do a lot of stuff himself. I know Dylan Brooks coming back has helped, stuff like that. But there are some nights where Jaron Jackson completely disappears. Um, Steven Adams is really not an offensive option. Um, I think I'm sticking with Morant, but this is it, it is a tough one.
1: Morant's definitely the more fun answer, right? Like I, I would—he's the more <laughs> oh, yeah. fun player to watch. He's the more fun player to like check box scores night to night and watch highlights. I—I um, I feel the same way about Paul. Like I don't know how many years he has to do this. Like there's no precedent for a player being extremely injured throughout his entire athletic prime and then hitting the years where everyone else gets hurt and then just playing every single game. Um, I mean, he played 70 each of the last two years. He has not missed a game yet. Has it looked like he's needed to miss any game? I mean, the minutes are even up compared to last year. Uh, But but yeah, it does feel like at some point that's going to catch up to him. But at the same time, you know, the production has been fantastic. Like he's he's on pace to lead the league in assists. He's at 10.2 per game right now. Um, He's taking more free throws, almost one full free throw per game more than last season. Obviously, always a great, you know, hovering around 90 percent at the line. The one thing for me with Paul that that likely comes down is he is averaging 2.6 steals per game. Right now, and that would be easily his highest total since 2008. Uh, So that's probably a little bit of early season flukiness. You know, that'll probably standardize. He's been closer to like one and a half the last couple of years. He'll, He'll likely lose some value there, but if he's adding two more assists per game and he's still, you know, putting up great percentages and taking more free throws, you know, maybe maybe that counters the 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 drop in assists that or drop in steals that's likely coming at some point.
2: Yeah, the steals and blocks numbers and even free throw percentage, like those can really swing guys um values if you're not yeah. looking close enough at like uh if you're not looking close enough at them. And I was I was gonna bring up the-, the steals too for him. At the same time, Morant at one point six steals, that's by far a career high for him. Yeah. Um never know how legit that is, but I think steals across the league are up because the fouls are down. Um, so that's yeah, it's kind of hard to figure that out too.
1: Thing is, just whichever team plays the Rockets just like automatically boosts their steal numbers immediately. I, Chris Paul has 12 steals only just against the Rockets so far. <laughs> like I, I looked that up on the fly and it checks out seven steals against the Rockets on uh, on the, this past weekend, and then in their first matchup on November 4th, five steals. I'm telling you, that's all it takes. Like the, the, it's going to be slanted towards teams in the Rockets division.
2: Uh, yeah, we should keep that in mind for. Uh... For for betting, we'll hit the uh, steals overs uh, <laughs> yeah, on WinBet.
1: Like, rockets are like 82 and 0 uh, against the steals props. Uh, all right, next one. <laughs> Who would you would you rather roster the rest of the year, Miles Bridges or Tobias Harris? Kind of a similar one where you have the you know kind of high upside breakout versus the the more dependable option. So Miles Bridges or Tobias Harris?
2: Um, man, I think That's, Tobias a season, Harris. Bro. I think Tobias Harris, because they, the 76ers need him a lot still. And I was saying this before the year where I was like, if Bead's going to miss time, then Tob- Tobias Harris becomes the best player on the team when that happens. Mm-hmm. So you have Tobias Harris very often being the best player on the 76ers uh, compared to Miles Bridges always being like the second best player on the, on the Hornets. Um, they're close in in a lot of ways. They're similar. They put up similar stat lines. Um, I just trust Harris more and their values right now aren't extremely different. Obviously bridges is still riding a little bit of a high, but I would feel more confident. Like if we zeroed things out from here on out, I feel like Tobias Harris is probably going to finish higher.
1: Yeah, I I think so, too. And I was surprised that Bridges actually isn't higher. I'm seeing him at 27th right now in in per game value. Um, And, and, you know, there's there's a little bit of noise in there. Like guys like Taylor Horton Tucker has only played two games and and he's ahead of him. Um, So he's probably closer to like the 25th best player. Uh, But that's come down a little bit since that insanely hot start uh, when he was just, you know, splashing in a ton of threes every single night. But at the same time, it doesn't really feel like he's slowed down. I mean, he's still playing like 36, 37 minutes a night. 22 points, seven and a half rebounds, three and a half assists. Uh, the question is, like, can, can the steals sustain? Like, can he, can he still really hover around like 1.7, 1.8 steals? If he can, then he's probably the more valuable guy. But I, I tend to err on the, the side of caution with, with guys like this. And I would, even though I think there's a chance that we're only 15 games in, but it's, it's a big chunk of the season. Like, I think there's a chance that Miles Bridges is the higher upside guy the rest of the way. Um, I, I just feel like Tobias Harris, I mean, he's always in that category of like one of the guys like at any position with, you know, top five, like highest floor in fantasy. Like he's, he's not, he's not going to finish in the top 10, but he's also never going to fall out of like the top 40.
2: Yeah. And I mean, Bridges is on actually kind of a slide right now. I just looked this up past six games. The volume is still there, but past six games, 39% from the field, 29% from three 63% from the free throw line. He's just, yeah, he's just off right now. I mean, that'll come back up. But, um, you know, I think we might be getting some regression in the mean to some extent.
1: Right. And they've also been without P.J. Washington for a while. And he was yeah. kind of in this weird role to begin the year. Like, I, I think as a, as we go on, I think, you know, I th- basically what Bridges was doing those first 10 games, I think some of that becomes redistributed to Gordon Hayward, to Terry Rozier. And eventually, I think some of those minutes maybe, you know, start leaking toward P.J. Washington, where you, you don't have Miles Bridges playing 39 minutes and P.J. Washington playing 16 yeah, you know, I, I think it could be closer to like Bridges plays thirty-two, Washington plays twenty-four.
2: Yeah, their rotation is pretty flexible, so yeah. it'll be it'll be interesting to see what they do when everyone's healthy. All right, next one: two guys who have underachieved so far. Who would you
1: rather roster the rest of the way, Damian Lillard or Jason Tatum?
2: Boy, uh, Tatum, I think. Um, Tatum is someone who I. Expected. I I expected both of these guys to be first round values for what it's worth. So. Yep. Same. um, And I just the the Lillard injury abdomen thing just kind of weird. It just kind of freaks me out. I just like I don't want I don't want any part of it. Don't want to deal with it. Uh, He's getting older. The free throws are going down. The team is like not in a great spot. Not that the Celtics are in a great spot. But Tatum Tatum's volume is like higher than it's ever been. I think for his career, right? Like his shot volume. Um, I think it's kind of had to be so far 22 shots a game for, for Jason Tatum. And he's only shooting 39% right now. I expect that to come back up and when it does and like, he'll be, he'll be insane. Like over the past, uh, four games. And a lot of this is with, um, Jalen Brown out, but he's taking, yeah, 23 shots a game over the past four games. Like, I I don't know what the issue is with with him. I know he's taking fewer shots at the rim and he's not converting very well from there, but it'll, I think it'll work itself out.
1: I think so too. Um, and I, I think chances are it does for Lillard as well. So I, I don't feel super strongly about this. Like, I, I think I would bet that both these guys finish in the top 20, but the, the situation in Portland feels a little more volatile to me. Um, I, I think the Celtics have had a lot of things go wrong injury wise. Um, I, I do think like every, every year they have, like at some point, usually it doesn't happen with like the third game of the year, but there's always some sort of you know disconnect between Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum like to me that wasn't that big of a deal they'll figure it out um but in Portland like you have a situation where you know accurate or not there there are definitely at least rumblings that Lillard maybe would want to change at some point point. and you know they're off to a kind of a rocky start he's possibly playing through an injury um it, it just seems like there are enough factors there where that could really go sideways um and, and in Boston like I the worst case scenario is Tatum keeps playing like this and he's still giving you like 25 points a game, eight rebounds, three and a half assists. I mean, eventually the, the field goal percentage is going to come up. He's not going to shoot 39% on the year. The one thing with Tatum, and I, I've caught myself watching a decent amount of Celtics games so far. Like, I, f- I feel like the dominant narrative has been like, oh, he just he just takes too many threes. All he does is pull up from three. Like, I, frankly, I actually think that's correct. Like, that that definitely passes <laughs> the eye test. Like, it, it's kind of a lazy analysis, but like, it's totally true. Like, how many more two of eight, one of eight, one of six, one of eight, You know, I'm looking at his game logs now, two of 15. Like, how many more games is he going to have like this? Like, he really does attack the he attacks the rib with ease, but just has no interest really in doing it.
2: Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know what the mentality of these guys sometimes like he might even he's only 23 years old, but he might feel like he's already too like he's over the regular season. Like, he's just yeah. like, I, I'm not going to really try that hard in the regular season. I mean, what's he been to? Has he been to two Eastern Conference Finals already? I think so, yeah. He's, he's too cool to play well during the regular season. I mean, he's he's played, I mean, he's 23 and he's already played 50 playoff games. Yeah. And, like, over the past two seasons is averaging, like, 27 a game on decent efficiency in the postseason. Like, he, like, you know, I just, maybe he, he might, he already might be too cool for the regular season. He's just jack up threes. Like, we see a lot of guys kind of. Do that, and when the playoffs come, they they really kind of put their foot down. Yeah, no,
1: that's true. That's true. I mean, I, it's it's getting to the point now where um you know it's, it's a little more than just like a couple week trend to begin the year, but at the same yeah. time, last five games he's at 25 points per game, 39% from three. Um, so you know, much like Lillard, much like Kate Cunningham, you know, the the more that we we get into the season, uh, the more things tend to standardize. Speaking of Kate Cunningham, would you rather roster Kate Cunningham or Ricky Rubio for the rest of the season. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe I'm asking this, but here we are.
2: Oh my god, um, man. Think long and hard. You know, Sexton's gonna be out for a while. <laughs> it's sure looking that way. I'm I'm all in on the on the Rubio Renaissance for what it's worth. Um, man, I mean his shooting percentages are also bad. Yes, they are. He, he ranked 67th in per game value so far he does. But that, I mean, that also includes some of those early games when he like wasn't yeah. Oh man.
1: Um, if you want to cut the recording, I can give you tonight to think about it. And do you, do you have more. an answer? I just, I,
2: you know, I need, I
1: need a couple of weeks on this one. I think I think I would, um, no, I don't have an answer to, to answer your question. I, <laughs> I think I would lean Cunningham because I think there's more upside there. Like, as you alluded to, like, Rubio's off to what feels like a magical, like, storybook start to the season. And he still doesn't rank all that high. You know, it's like you right. think the way that he's talked about in some of the big games that he's had, it wouldn't be shocking if he was, like, 28th overall. You know, so it's like, all right, he's played about as well as possible. Everything is kind of broken his way. And, you know, he's still only ranked 67th, whereas Cunningham has had a couple of, like, horrific games really only played like two and a half good games and he's, he's at 115. So, you know, I I, I would imagine like, I, I don't think Rubio falls all that much because Sexton's out. And because he actually is a pretty good player and, and they really need him to play big minutes. Like I, I think he can sustain, but I don't see Ricky Rubio climbing any higher than he already is. Whereas I, I think like week to week, month to month, like Cunningham is just going to steadily start climbing two or three spots every week.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think I'd take Cunningham, but I don't feel good about it. I mean, we're going to see the thing is Mobley's out for like two to four weeks now. Yeah, I don't even. And, and that like, probably hurts Rubio. I don't know. I mean, he, Mobley was using a like, decent amount of shots and touching the ball a lot. So I don't really know what they're going to do without him. Like it remains to be seen kind of how their offense even looks, although they are getting Kevin Love and, and marking him back pretty soon. Um, I think you're I think you're right with Cunningham, but it's it's not it's not an easy pick. I think it's
1: the answer has become more difficult over the last week. Like if I asked that a week ago, I think it would have been Rubio pretty easily because Cunningham, you know, looked like kind of a disaster. But um I, I just think there's enough like all around counting stat upside with Cunningham that, that it's tough to pass on um, you know, what, what could be, I guess, over the next sixty odd games. Uh who would you rather roster the rest of the way? De'Aaron Fox or D'Angelo Russell? <laughs> I hate that I have to ask this, but yeah.
2: I do. Uh, legally obligated to ask this question. I think, um, I think De'Aaron Fox, I, I would love to, I I would love to pass on this question as well. I, I just, Fox at least has the steals upside. Uh, and I, I don't know, man. I, I just, at least like talk about the Fox situation. I just don't know what's going on there. He has not improved as a shooter. At all since his rookie year, everyone is upset at Ben Simmons because he he doesn't shoot threes and he hasn't improved as a as a shooter. Fox has improved less as a shooter than Ben Simmons has. So think about that. Um, And they the Kings drafted two guards and Harrison Barnes has taken over as like the alpha dog of that team. Very bizarre uh, situation going on around Darren Fox, who seems like he's just like the, the discount version of John wall at this point. Um, a v- hard discount, like very generic brand. Um, um like the, Black, like Black
1: Friday, John wall.
2: Yeah. Generic Kmart brand, John wall. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, it, Anthony Edwards and towns are obviously using a lot of usage in, in Minnesota. um, i don't know man i guess i take fox but i could i could have a different answer tomorrow and if i looked into the stats more i could also have a completely different answer in like 10 minutes
1: so so i am a uh a manager i guess is is the term now of fox in a, a league that i care dearly about and I, i'm just hoping that this is a redux of last season where through his first 13 games he was at 18 points five assists 70 percent from the free throw line, uh, 34% from three, like eerily reminiscent to what we've seen thus far. Um, And then he had that 43 point game uh, against the Pelicans that was on January 17th. And from there on, he was really, really good. He had a, uh, I'm looking at a 33 game sample that I'm just clearly cherry picking on the fly here. (laughs) Over those, those next 33 games, starting with that 43 point game, he was at 27 points per game, eight assists, three and a half rebounds, one and a half steals, 50% from the field. Uh, Three-point shooting actually went down. He was at 33%, but he was still he was still making two threes a game. Uh, the big caveat with Fox is is the free throw percentage, which for a point guard is egregious. And and he gets there enough that it is pretty damaging. I mean, he's he's down at 71% yet again. Uh, this is now five straight years. Like this is just who he is. You know, I I think there's some hope early on with guards that, you know, if you shoot 70 75% as a rookie, you know, oftentimes you'll see a jump. You know, in years two and three and it's, it's completely stagnated. I mean, if anything, it's, it's kind of dwindled a little bit uh, to begin this year. So again, I hope there's a breakout coming. I'm I'm not trying to sell low on Fox quite yet, but if we get to, you know, mid December, late December, and he's still hovering around 41, 42% from the field. And, you know, he's not like, he's such a good defender and he, he is averaging one and a half steals. That's nice, but he's not doing enough on the defensive end that it outweighs Uh, the shortcomings in terms of percentages and and overall points. I mean, he's under 20 points a game right now after being over 25 last year.
2: Right. And I just this season is, is part of the issue. I think he'll continue to play better. But if you look at, you know, his numbers from like his second season onward, aside from getting some increased volume and really not even that much increased volume when you adjust for like per possession or per minute, I don't know. I don't think he's gotten better at all. Like the assists are going down every year. The turnovers are stagnant. The percentages are better or are similar or the same or worse. Um, Like, I don't think he's I haven't watched enough De'Aaron Fox to like be able to eye test tell you if he's really gotten better. But stats wise, I don't think he's gotten better at all. Like there's zero indication of that.
1: I think what's disappointing if you're the Kings is that, I mean, not that they've surrounded him with great talent. I mean, it's been kind of a mess and it's looking like it's probably going to be that way yet again this year, but I think it's clear that he's not a a like true floor raiser, right? It's like he even when he's playing his best like he did last year, you know, you're still a team that's just not making an impact. You're not making the playoffs. You're really not even challenging for one of those spots. And it, it just feels like they're going down that same road again, uh, even though they hit on the Halliburton pick, even though they hit on you know bringing in Rashawn Holmes. Harrison Barnes is playing well. Um, it's like even when all those good things are happening, like the, like it doesn't feel like the franchise has advanced at all. And it's not necessarily Fox's fault, but it's just it's just clear that a guy that you took at the top 5 is is a a very good player but probably not on track to ever be
2: a great player. Yeah, and I I don't know what you do with that. I mean, I suppose you in theoretic you theoretically maybe try to trade him. You know, you got I mean you have Halliburton and you have Davion Mitchell and you have Buddy Heald around. Like they have like they have way more options at guard than almost any other team with a young guard yeah. that's underperforming has. Yeah, they do.
1: All right, let's finish out with one more. Who would you rather roster the rest of the way? This is yet another one where I was, I was writing this. and like, I, I can't believe I'm writing this, but here we go.
2: Franz Wagner or Jalen Green? Jalen Green. Yeah. Um, Franz Wagner, Wagner has been bad over the past six games. Whatever Franz magic was going on or over his first eight games is just gone right now. Yep. Shooting 36% from the field, 19% from three over this stretch, yeah. just low usage, everything like that. Good steals numbers. Um, I just right now he's he's like ranked 106, like he's just kind of on the fringes of relevance. So I just rather take the guy with more upside. Like I I think you know, I just the Wagner thing never really made sense to me anyway. So yeah, I I would just rather have Jalen Green.
1: I mean, Wagner's value was definitely propped up by a few big games. You know, he had four threes in his second career game. He had a five three pointer game with two steals. He had that six steal game, uh, not against Houston, but against Brooklyn uh, last week. So, yeah, cause, I mean, consistency wise, it always felt like he was going to regress. Um, I, I think I side with you here. I mean, it's it's kind of a tough pill to swallow in the short term, you know, when you're bringing on a guy who's, who's shooting 36 percent from the field and turning it over a ton and, and is at 27 percent From three, but yeah, I I do think long term, like there's enough of a chance that Jalen Green has an Anthony Edwards second half in him. Um, Whereas like with with Wagner, like what is ultimately the upside? Like the best case scenario is he kind of goes back to like a version of who he was for the first eight
2: games. Right. Yeah, he's he's taking like 12 shots a game, uh, sort of passes. Like he's just he's just kind of he's just kind of floating around like he does some good stuff, but he's not he's not like a high usage guy. I would just yeah. rather take the high usage guy because, like, again, if if Wagner is really going to rank between like 100 and 120, essentially for the rest of the year, like that's the equivalent of a good streaming spot in a 12 team league. Like you can just mm. you can just grab someone on a four game week and probably get better production than that. So I would just rather keep a guy on my bench and Jalen Green, who has the upside with the with the volume of shots and everything like that. Especially since, you know, I mean Stephen Silas has said that they're going to change their starting lineup. Uh, probably I think he said. Um, I think, so. I sure. mean, I, th- I think, uh, they, they have to change something, you know, I think there needs to be some sort of direction change there. So that can only benefit Jalen green. Let's put it that mm-hmm. way.
1: I-, I will say what's been a little bit disappointing to me about green is one, the lack of assists. I mean, it part, part of it is what we talked about with the Pistons where like, when you don't have good players around you, you know, you're not picking up the easy assists that, that other teams are. Um, but he's also, he's also not getting like, just like the lucky, young guard steals that guys who just play a ton of minutes and play with high energy usually just get just because you're out there. Like it doesn't mean you're a good defender necessarily. Um, and we, you know, we saw that with like LaMelo last year where he was like, he was over one and a half steals, I think for a lot of the year. Um, and nobody was saying he's a good defender, but it was just like, he's, he's just out there and he's getting steals. Um, like green only has one game with multiple steals and the Rockets play at the fastest pace in the league. They're flying up and down. Balls are you know constantly going all over the place. Um, like the fact that he hasn't been a little more active in that department is is a little concerning so far.
2: Yeah, I think I mean Lamelo's at 2.1 steals per game this year for what it's worth. Like, Sheesh. I mean, it's, I, he's he is not a very good like on ball defender. He's kind of too small. He gets he gets bullied like very easily. Yeah. But he's so very c- cerebral off the ball, like just in the passing lanes all the time. Like when you watch him off the ball in defense, he's 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 ready for those passes. And yeah, you would hope that Jalen Green is is also you know, ready to play the passing lanes, but obviously like LaMelo and Jalen green, I think see the game of basketball very differently. Not that that's like a bad thing. Cause Jalen green could end up being obviously a really good player. And they're just, they're just two different players. Um, But yeah, yeah. Again, this, the steals thing that can really hurt you in fantasy.
1: All right, man, another loaded slate tonight. We got 11 games on this Wednesday. We got six on Thursday, slightly more than the usual Thursday offering. Uh, and then of course, you know, loaded slates, all weekend as well. Uh, You'll be back with Ken and Shannon on Friday to talk waiver wire, uh, break down what we see over these next two nights in the NBA. Uh, Good to talk to you as usual, dude. We'll do it again next week. Sounds good.